0: you bookworms and welcome to oh for the love of books the show that gives tidbits of interesting facts about books and a bit of narration from the books i read i'm your host jessica vickery and today we're going to talk about the first ebook also the next chapter from J.R. wards claimed the Lair of the woven new series Declaration of Independence the first ebook in the world was created by Michael Sternhart on Xerox Sigma V computer in 1971 Michael Sternhart passionate technologist and futurist was given access to the extensive computer time on the Xerox Sigma V mainframe of the University of Illinois Hart didn't want to waste time and started to think of what to do with it. Inspired by a free printed copy of the Declaration of Independence, he decided to type the text into the computer. In an interview in 2002, he explained, We were just coming up on the American Bicentennial, and they put faux parchment historical documents in with groceries. So as I fumbled through my backpack for something to eat, I found the U.S. Declaration of Independence and had a light bulb moment. He finished the work on July 4, 1971 and made the file available to other users of the computer network with an annotation that it was free to use and distribute. It was the beginning of the legendary Project Gutenberg, the first project to make books freely available in digital format. Most of the books created in the first 20 years, Michael Hart typed himself. By 1993, there were 100 books in the Project Gutenberg. Now the catalog offers over 50,000 titles all in the fashion started by Michael Hart, created voluntarily and free to use by every Internet user. Xerox Sigma v. Computer was produced by Scientific Data Systems, SDS, in 1967 and cost $300,000. Its initial memory size was 16K. You can see it in real at the Computer History Museum, where it was donated in 2002 by Carnegie Mellon University. Okay, so next up is J.R. Ward's Claimed. Chapter 5 Back at the Wolf Study Project headquarters at just before 6 p.m. Lydia looked up from a dismal financial spreadsheet. He's still not here. Like, not at all. Candy pulled on her puffy down coat. Nope, and before you ask, no, I didn't put our executive director in the closet. My kidnap fantasies stop at UPS men. Sitting back in her chair, Lydia did some math. Peter Wayne hadn't been in the office for a week and a half now. Unbelievable. Hey, she said. I heard the vacuum going. Are the cleaners here early? They're supposed to come in Saturday mornings. They don't come in on Saturdays anymore. So 5.30 tonight works better? Lydia frowned, where there was no response. What aren't you telling me? Did they quit? No, they didn't quit. Candy walked forward and put an envelope on the desk. Here's your paycheck. What happened to the cleaners? As Candy fussed with something in her purse, Lydia put down her pen. You're kidding me. Candy lifted her palms like it was a hold up. Hey, I happen to like vacuuming. And don't get me started on Windex. I'm obsessed. That's not your job. Wait, who's going to take care of cleaning the clinic? As Candy just lifted a brow, Lydia swallowed 12 kinds of curses. No, Rick is not cleaning the... He needs to take care of my wolf. The wolf, I mean. He said he didn't mind. God damn it! Lydia shoved her chair back and marched around her desk. I freaking had it! Candy snagged her arm. Where you going? Peter's not here anyway. And what's it going to get you to yell at his closed door? Lydia stared off into the hallway, not seeing the framed maps of the preserve or the black and white photographs of the gray wolves. Instead, the piss-poor financials she'd been reviewing were like a neon sign mounted directly in front of her face. We're going to need to trim some expenses, she announced. We can't afford to fill Trick's position. We can't afford not to fill it. Eastwind brought the ATV back, and he says it has a leak in a gas tank. There are three bridges on the main trail that need fixing, or... Our insurance company is going to cancel our policy. The letter is in your inbox. The equipment building has a hole in the roof, and you and I both know how well our bathroom is functioning. I don't mind sharing facilities with Rick, but that insurance policy is going to be a big problem. Maybe I can fix those bridges. Sure, in all your free time, Candy shrugged. Look. We can all pitch in with the cleaning as a team, but Trick did stuff out in the preserve that none of us are equipped to do, and the fundraiser is coming up. We'll get the money we need eventually. Well, somehow we'll get it. Tell me the truth, Candy. Lydia shifted her eyes to the older woman. When did the cleaners stop coming in? A month ago. Lydia threw up her hands. Why didn't you let me know? You're not the executive director. That's why. You aren't responsible for the way this place runs. Did you tell Peter? Yes. And he did nothing? Well, look at the time. I gotta go. Candy gave her a rough pat on Lydia's shoulder. It's gonna be okay. Okay. That's what I've learned. You may work for the wolves, but we're cats at heart. This place and everyone under its roof has nine lives. Now will you please leave before midnight for once? You're turning into a vampire. As the woman took off, Lydia rubbed her aching eyes. With an abrupt surge, she hustled out to the reception area with its rustic chairs and year-old copies of Outdoor Magazine. Wait, Candy! The receptionist paused at the door, the overhead fixture making her pink hair fluoresce like it was under black light. Yeah? Why do you not like Sheriff Eastwood? Candy did a double-take, then shook her head. What makes you ask that? You never call him Sheriff or by his first name. It's always East Wind. That is his name. It's the tone, too. When Lydia held the other woman's stare, Candy glanced away to her neat desk. Then her eyes returned. He and I go way back, that's all. You know how small towns are. Now will you please shut your office down and get home already? Tomorrow is coming like a freight train, and like my dad always said, it's going to be carrying more of the crap we dealt with today. The door clapped shut behind her. Lydia looked around at the log cabin-style space, seeing the warm carpet, the frayed arms of the chairs, the stain in the center of the ceiling. She thought of the trails and the fact that, as the weather got more hospitable, They would be filled with hikers, dogs, kids. Then she moved on to the ATV, the equipment building, the toilet. Heading back to her office, she picked up the envelope and opened it. Her wages for the previous two weeks were just over $1,500, $1,538.41. After withholding her health insurance, she netted. 900 and change. It had always felt like a lot to her. Lydia ripped up the check, put the confetti back in the envelope, and tossed everything into the waste paper basket. Then she went to the stack of files in her outbox. After she found what she was looking for, she made a note on a post-it, got her coat, and grabbed her bag. Turning off all the lights, she set the security alarm out in front and locked up. Her beater was parked under a pine tree, and as she got in, she glanced at the building. Twenty-four months was a short blink in the course of an entire lifespan, but she felt like she'd been at WSP forever, and there was nowhere else she could imagine herself, for so many reasons. At least that wolf was still alive, she thought as she drove off. Rick had checked in as he'd left and told her he was going to come back throughout the night to take vitals and make sure he was okay. So there was that. When she was on the country road, she took out her cell phone and broke the law by making a call and putting the unit up to her ear. Hands-free was great, unless you were in a 15-year-old car that didn't have Bluetooth. Then it wasn't an option, no matter what the rules were. Yes. The sound of the male voice was such a surprise. Lydia jumped. She'd been prepared for voicemail. Uh, hello, Peter? Remember me, one of your employees? How are you? Lydia, look. I'm busy right now. What do you need? For you to do your job, Peter. We expected to see you today at the project. When there was silence, she said, Hello? Should I give you the address in case you forgot where you work? Yeah, sorry. I'll be in tomorrow. We can talk about whatever it is. I need your authorization on a couple of things. It's not going to wait until tomorrow. I can't do this right now. Actually, yes, you can. And if you don't, I know where you live, and I'm going to show up at your front door and pound on it until you answer. What do you need? He snapped. The conversation lasted all of five minutes, and Lydia felt no better as she hung up, which was hardly a newsflash. She couldn't say the WSP's executive director had directed much or been very executive in the last month. Even though she had other calls to make, she let her cell phone fall into her lap and just drove alone, along rather. In the headlights, the asphalt strip that tracked. The Moth River's winding course around the foot of Deer Mountain reminded her of the opening scenes of The Shining, not that the pavement was in as good condition as she remembered the film's being. Here there were seams in the pavement everywhere, like worms trying to cross the road, the hot and cold of the seasons demanding flexibility out of that which was by its nature more fixed than conditions required. The town of Walters was just a gas station, a bank, a combination grocery store diner, a firehouse, and a post office. Orbiting around the tiny retail center were about 30 or 40 homes on parcels of land that had been in the families since the French trappers had come down from Canada during the Revolutionary War. As Lydia contemplated all the empty in refrigerator she decided to pull into the IGA's parking lot. Before she got out, she took a post-it from her bag and punched the 10-number sequence into her phone. She waited to hit send until she entered the grocery half of the building. She loved Susan, the cashier. She really did. Oh, hi, came the greeting behind the counter. How's things at work? What's going on with you? Lydia smiled, waved pointed at her phone in an exaggerated way. Call. Susan nodded and made all kinds of it's okay with her hands. You just talk, I'll wait. Susan was pushing 60 and still full of beans, a wind-up toy with plenty of strength left in her pull-string, sporting an elaborately coiffured platinum blonde hairdo and a full face of makeup. She was like a starlet waiting for a movie director who had never shown up. But she hadn't just been sitting around. Married to the fire chief, they had raised five sons and Walters. And like so many, she and her husband were lifers here in the valley. Never gonna retire and never gonna move, as they said. Plus, she had a committed side hustle. In addition to running the grocery store, she was both the oral historian and chief newscaster of the area, which was a wonderful service, covering both the past and the present of everybody. No, really, it was great. As a second ring came across the connection, Lydia walked back to the shallow meat counter and then glanced around at the seven aisles of short shelves. The selection for everything was small. High-caloried and uninspired, especially as it was all she'd been choosing from for the last two years. As a fourth ring burbled in her ear, she gave up pretending. She was any kind of cook, and rerouted to the entry into the diner part of things. She was at a gas tonight, and the idea of cooking anything, even a can of Campbell's soup, was overwhelming and that was before she stepped through the swinging glass doors and the smell of chicken pot pie hit her. Oh, sweet Jesus, she muttered. That's what I'm talking about. Hello? Came a male voice into her ear. Lydia stopped. God. The sound of that man was like jumper cables hooked to her butt. Uh, hi, Daniel Joseph. This is Lydia Soucy from the wolf. Oh, yeah. Hi. How are you doing? And the pause that followed? Lydia frowned as the music coming across the connection registered. It was an old Eagles song, and the weird thing was that Take It to the Limit was also overhead for her as well. Lydia? Miss Susie? Are you She glanced to the booths that were against the wall, then turned to the counter where the stools were. Oh, hi! Down the far end of the lineup of truckers and townspeople, Daniel Joseph was parked on a stool and taking up three spaces. And as his eyes swung over and crossed the distance of a dozen half-eaten plates of beef stew and chicken parm, she lifted her hand. He did the same. I guess we should hang up, she said into the phone. Sure. Ending the call, she walked forward, nodding at the familiar faces, the husbands and the wives, the widowers. In the back of her mind, she noted there wasn't a person under 50, evidence that the town was hanging on by a generational thread that was fraying year to year. The sad reality was that the world was getting more digital every day, and the economics were tough this far from any population center. Young people who were starting out or raising families needed good-paying jobs in urban centers. Hi. She slipped her phone into her bag. I thought you were going back to Glens Falls. So did I. My bike broke down, so I'm here overnight. You want to sit? As he went to move his leather jacket to the stool on the other side of him, She shook her head. Oh, no, I'm just picking up to go. Where's your bike? Some guy named Paul is fixing it as we speak. Or he will when the park gets here in the morning. Oh, you went to Paul Gagnon's. He lifted what looked like a Coke and took a sip. The straw that had come with the glass had been taken out and put on the counter next to his knife and fork spoon roll. That's the one. So you want to speak to me? Lydia cleared her throat. You've got the job if you want it. Really? The slow, small smile was positively devastating. That's great. Thanks. As Lydia had to glance away, she pretended like she was acknowledging the trucker sitting in the booth behind him, even though the guy was facing away from her, and she didn't know him from a hole in the wall. But it was either faking a salutation or feeling like something on a hot plate, fresh out of the diner's kitchen. When do you want me to start? She shook herself back to attention. Do you go by Dan or Daniel? And as soon as possible. Good. I'll start tomorrow. And I'm Daniel, not Dan. Tomorrow? Really? But don't you need to get your things from where you... I'm here for the night anyway, and tomorrow is Friday. I'll work the day and head back to Glen Falls when I'm done. What time do you want me? Well, Trick used to come in at 8.30 and leave at 4.30. Those are my hours, then. Great, I'll see you tomorrow. And we'll process your paperwork first thing so we can get you on payroll. Daniel tilted his head in that way he did. What is that? Um, it's how you get paid? Have you always been under the table? No, your necklace. Lydia looked down at the worn old charm that hung at the V of her fleece and realized she was still in her running tights, her running shoes, her sports bra. As she swallowed a curse, she thought, hey, at least it wasn't a flash to him. She'd had the stuff on during his interview. Oh, it's nothing special, she shrugged. It's just a St. Christopher's medal. You're Catholic? Sorry if that's personal. It's not, and it was my grandfather's. He was Catholic. I don't know what I am. Anyway, I'll see you in the morning. Yeah, sure. As she turned away, he said, What about your dinner? Huh? She looked across the counter at the server coming out of the kitchen. Oh, right. Hey, Bessie. I got it coming up, Lydia. Your usual. Bessie was also 60 and had a perm that had been taken right out of a style book in 1985. But unlike fading beauty queen Susan, she had the vibe of a gym teacher, or maybe someone who taught karate to army sergeants. After she delivered a hamburger and a plate of fries to Daniel, she wiped her hands on her apron and nodded, like she'd taken a blood oath to bring out Lydia's order. No matter what the obstacles or what it cost her. I didn't know I had a usual, Lydia murmured, but like she was going to argue. She liked her arms and legs just where they were, thank you very much. She'd never been sure whether Betsy's commitment to her job crossed counter lines. Like, if you messed up as one of her customers, did she mop the floor with you? You want to sit while you wait? Daniel asked. No, I'm good. She looked up at the billboard of menu items that was bolted to the wall over the soft drink machines, the ice cream coolers, the pie display. But thanks. Out of the corner of her eye, she watched as he unrolled his paper napkin tucked it in his lap, and picked up the burger with fingers that were precisely arranged on the bun. He was methodical about biting and chewing, neat and tidy. Fastidious with the napkin, too. Nothing dripping, in spite of the fact that there was ketchup involved and things were done medium rare. He wiped his mouth. How do you have a usual and not know what it is? Diner amnesia, evidently. On the other hand, it's going to be a surprise. Which, at least in theory, I'm going to like. An entree ordered by your subconscious. Cool. A moment later, Bessie punched out of the kitchen's flap door with a steaming plate. Here you go. Chicken pot pie, nice and hot. Just put the food next to Daniel Joseph's burger and grab a silverware roll out from under the counter. You want your Diet Coke too? Uh, Lydia cleared her throat. Looks like we're having dinner together. The WSP's new groundskeeper said. Didn't this just work out, huh? Well, that concludes my episode for today. I want to thank you all who have taken the time from your day to listen to me talk. I hope you've enjoyed this episode. If you like my podcast, subscribe to my show or please send me an email to at outlook.com. That's j-e-s-s-v-i-c-v-o-i-c-e at outlook.com. With your thoughts and questions, I'd love to read some out on the show. Thank you again. And please join me next week on Oh, for the love of books. And as always, dream big and keep reading.